If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Living the Faith Podcast. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. RestoringTheFaith.com this is a audio only exclusive podcast, Restoring the Faith. I'm joined here by special guest, first time guest, Caleb the Mechanic. I actually found, Caleb, I found your podcast on Anchor and I um, have subscribed and support it. I really love the work you're doing. You're an army veteran and um, a former political prisoner of the regime, the United States of America, so, so called. Um, we're going to be talking today about the, the drastic measures that the U.S. government is taking to make sure that every single service member is jabbed. Caleb, welcome aboard. Thanks for joining. Thank you very much, Mike. I'm glad to be here. So you and I have done tours in the Middle East. We've served around the world. Uh, we wrote a blank check for freedom and apple pie and baseball and all of that. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know about you. I've been injected with all kinds of experimental serums. I mean, I'm supposedly I'm inoculated against anthrax and smallpox, uh, you know, the types of things that are not given out anymore today. I'm sure you had your full battery before stepping foot overseas. I did. Yeah. Um, in fact, actually, I had the full cycle for anthrax also. Yeah. I, as I look back on that, on, on those years when I was just, you know, okay, well, this is just part of the part of the deal, you know, starting in 2006 when they started injecting my body with all of these things, you know, as a young guy, you don't really think too much about the issue, right? I mean, you know, you, you just assume that everything that they're giving you is safe and effective and that it's, you know, been fully tested and there aren't going to be side effects. I would say that's basically true. Um my family actually has a history. Um, my grandfather uh, served in the same unit I did in the 82nd Airborne, um, and he actually served when they were testing MK, when they were doing the MK Ultra stuff. And so I was a little bit more familiar with it. But at the same time, too, you know, I wanted to do my job, so I didn't really think much of it. Right, 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 right. I think I think this one's a little different, and you can tell it's different because you know, like. The idea of getting a, a vaccine exemption was something that I never I never dealt with it as a platoon commander. I never dealt with it as a company commander. Um, you know, you were in 16 years. I don't know if you were ever like a platoon sergeant or, or whatever, but I never I almost never ran across or even heard about anybody requesting an exemption from a vaccine. It was just so unheard of when I was active duty. I had it happen um, early 2000s. There was, um, I did have actually a soldier had a religious objection. Um, he was not in my platoon, but I do remember like they, there was, you know, the battalion came down and is like, look, you know, it's article of faith. I'm not doing it. And 
they came down, they were upset about it, but I mean, he's still deployed. So yeah. Yeah. Historically, actually my entire time, um, whenever religious objections would come up for whatever reason, and, and truth be told, like a lot of people don't realize there are a lot of reasons, um, and a lot of things where a religious objection would come up even in the military. And most of the time, as soon as a religious objection came up, that was it. It was hands off. I've never seen what they're doing now. Yeah, I mean, and that, that's, that's exactly what, what is so shocking to me now is on the one or two instances where I ever heard about a religious exemption being granted, it wasn't, you know, your battalion commander or your brigade commander in the army or whatever, like, like a low-level commander, a lieutenant colonel or a colonel, was given the authority to make that exemption. And he, and he could deploy his unit uh, and command his unit as he saw fit. He was given the authority, stemming from the, the president, the commander-in-chief, but uh, you know he, he, he could make those decisions. What we're seeing now is the exact opposite of that. We're seeing now that not only the volume of religious exemptions in the military spike. I mean, there are thousands, maybe tens of thousands of exemption requests being submitted right now for the COVID-1984 um, experimental gene therapy. But, Caleb, they have, they've, they've now created, at least in the Marine Corps, I don't know about the other services, in the Marine Corps, battalion commanders, regimental commanders, even like generals – don't have the authority to approve COVID-1984 religious exemptions. It all goes to a central committee. It's called the COVID Council. And we don't get to know who sits on the COVID Council, but the COVID Council presumably is an odd number of people uh, appointed by the Commandant of the Marine Corps, the four-star general in charge of the whole thing. Um, And... From what I can tell, I don't know what you're seeing or hearing from your buddies. From what I can tell, the COVID Council exists specifically to disapprove any and all religious exemptions to the 1984 vaccine. Well, um, I'm in kind of a beneficial situation. Most of my friends are actually already retired. Um, And so when this started coming down, they were like, well, my retirement paperwork's in. Um, Mm -hmm. But there was still, you know, the report that I remember hearing, I think, I think it was actually um, somewhere on social media. I don't remember. I think you might remember. Um, the There was a sergeant major. I assume he was a sergeant major because at 35 years in the Army, you're a sergeant major. Like, uh, they're, because of um, the limit that you have for, uh, based on rank for the amount of time you can put in. 35 years, he went to put in his retirement in order to get around having to deal with the vaccine. And they put him in a mental hospital. Like they, they directly, they, and I believe based on what I'd heard, now mind you, this is entirely speculation, but it's only from my own uh, familiarity with the army side of things, but I mm-hmm. believe they sent him to someplace similar to the Bradley center so that he could, um, so that he could undergo a 90 day psyche valve. Just hearing that for the first time, I'd never heard of anything like that before. I don't know how valid it is because I haven't heard any supplemental reports, but that is absolutely insane. It is beyond the pale. Most of the time, and the other thing too, um, and I don't know if, well, I'm pretty sure it's the same way across the branches, but once you pass 10 years, um, the enlistment that's after 10 years is called, a re- uh, it's called an indefinite re-enlistment, which means that you can quit 
You can literally, you can just say, you know what? That's it. I'm done. I'm out. I'm not playing oh, really? this game. Oh, you can yeah. just drop your papers. You can say, hey, here's my here's my notice. I'm gone. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a rules change made oh, in uh, right around 2009, 2008, 2009. It was at the close of uh, the Bush administration. Okay. The um, <clears throat> in fact, actually, that I believe that may have been part of the precipitating factor for uh, my own unfortunate departure from the military because I had actually requested to put in that paperwork because I was done with it. There was a point where I looked around and I was just like, this country, this country is going mad. Like I've never seen, I hadn't, I didn't recognize my country in 2012 from 2005, let alone now when I look back at 2021, this does not look anything like the America I grew up with. And it doesn't look anything like the America I was serving. It's absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and and that's that's the thing yeah, about military service. Uh, we'll get back to the vaccines here in a second, but you know, you and I, and everyone else, every other veteran puts up his hand in defense of the Constitution of the United States. But what we didn't anticipate, I think you raised your hand about a decade before I did, but I, I raised my hand in '06, and at the time, you know, we were fighting hard in Iraq, fighting hard in Afghanistan. But it appeared that we still, at that time, and it appeared to me anyway, to my young brain, that we lived in a land governed by the Constitution still. I now look back and know that we deviated much, much earlier than that. But um, but what we, you and I didn't anticipate was that we would so radically and so obviously take a turn away from constitutional governance uh, to the point where, you know, you've signed a contract, you're obligated if you don't show up to work, you know, if you don't show up to work as a um, as a suit salesman, you're not going to jail. You're just going to get fired. If you and I don't show up to work, we're in the military. We're going to jail. Yeah. So you put up your hand, you obligate yourself to a to a to a, a period of service and then your nation changes from underneath your feet and you're still obligated to continue serving your new masters. I mean, it's it's a wild feeling. It is. It really, really is. The uh, I started, so I joined in 1997. Um, and that was under Bill Clinton. When I joined, and this is actually to, to show the, uh, the significant difference um, in the medal of soldiers. My platoon sergeant was on food stamps because the military pay scale had not caught up to inflation and he had two children with he was married with two children and he was on food stamps um and yet you know the government shut down we didn't get paid for like a month and a half and we still showed up to work you know we still did every single day people were falling behind on their bills and we still came to work we still did our job um and so i was relieved you know, 2001 through about 2004, when George Bush got into office and it was immediate, it was pay raise, pay raise, pay raise, get the soldiers caught up to the cost of living. Um, and it got, and, it, and admittedly, I'll say it, it got a little bit foolish because at the time, um, in total, with all of my pay and benefits, cost of living and all that other stuff, um, when I was stationed in Alaska, I was taking home, after all of my bills, $5,600 a month. And that included after rent, after taxes, after phone, cable, internet, the whole the whole thing. 
Um, and that was a significant change where it, you know, through that transition period, it was like, okay, it was easier to, it was easier to walk around with your head held high because we're going to war. We're getting paid more commensurate. We're making a tremendous sacrifice. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, should it be the ultimate sacrifice? Apparently we don't, we still don't get paid as much as apparently the current administration wants to pay illegal aliens, but you know, it's a, it's a big, it was a big transition. Fast forward to 2006. And, you know, by this point I'd been to, Af uh, had been to Afghanistan once I'd been to, uh, I went to Kosovo in 1999. Um, and I'm looking around and I'm going, wait a minute, something's not right. And it took about three years because it wasn't until about 2009 um, before I finally looked around and said, wait a minute, okay, I, I can see where the actual problem is. Little did I know I was still deluded, but like I could see, I was like, okay, there is something seriously wrong. And in 2009 was when I started seriously taking every single day and evaluating whether or not I was prepared to carry on for a nation that was betraying everything. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and I, I suspect that for um, the active duty who are listening to this podcast right now, they're, they're, they're zeroing in on your words and they're, you know, they're thinking to themselves, what did I, what did I do? I want to give them a word of encouragement too. you know, stick, you know, stick it out, drop your shoulder and power through, keep your head on a swivel, you know, be smart. Don't put yourself out there if you don't need to. Try to, you know, stay out of Leavenworth or whatever. But, but going back to you know moral certainties like the fact that we cannot participate in the grave sin of, of abortion. Um, abortion is always wrong. It's a grave evil in all cases. Um, you know. Uh, these vaccines are directly derived from it. And that's not the only, that's not the only, um, you know, infraction against the fifth commandment. I mean, that's the easy one that some bishops are willing to fight on, but the uncertainty of the effects of this experimental serum on your body relative to the proportional threat that, uh, that the so-called uh, virus poses to you, that, too, is an unnecessary risk and therefore an infraction against the Fifth Commandment. And this is something that no bishop, to my knowledge, uh, outside of Schneider and Vigano are will and, and, and Williamson, of course, are willing yes. to talk about. I mean, even 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 the bishops of the SSPX won't broach that subject, Caleb, that, that they're willing to talk about the abortion taint they're unwilling to talk about the vaccine injury risk relative to the coronavirus. And, and I think that that comparison uh, is something that our troops are making for themselves. And that's why 40% of the Air Force right now, of the chair force, is unvaccinated. <laughs> and I mean, they're, their deadline came and went. I mean, what are you going to do when... A third of your <laughs> of your active duty are just not getting the shot. What are you going to do? Are you going to kick out a third of your active duty? I got to be perfectly honest with you. If it were me and I were calling the shots, if I if I were in the administration or even in the chiefs of staff and I had the agenda that they clearly have, 
Yes, without a doubt. There's, there is no, I used to give, I used to give politicians the benefit of the doubt and say it's incompetence or this, that, and the other. But I've been, so I started, I started with a blog back in 2008, 2009, back when I was uh, basically Protestant and uh, libertarian for all the nonsense that includes the, um, and I was, you know, much more willing to give them the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, maybe it's incompetence. But as I kept, uh, as I kept, you know, news article after news article, blog after blog for about two years straight. And I looked at, and I just saw the pattern of the whole thing. And I go, wait a minute, this, this isn't, this isn't an accident. This isn't stupidity somewhere in here. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it. It was on purpose. Since I've come back to the faith, um, the real fun word conspiracy has spirit as its core root. And so I know who's actually pulling the strings. It, this is this went beyond this has never been about, you know, freedom versus democracy versus socialism, communism. This has always been about God and man versus the devil. It has always been that. And in most cases, man is deceived enough to think that, you know, God will continue to allow them to make the same choices with the devil time after time, but eventually the bill comes due. And we've gotten to the point now where the bill's due. And God gave us 2020, and I think it was providential that it was 2020, because all you had to do was just stop and look. And there was no reason for any clear-eyed person to look at what was going on and say that there was anything except a battle between good and evil. It's that simple. Oi. I injured my neck the other day, so I'm kind of leaning on one side, and it's kicking my butt just a bit. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I hate it when that happens. <laughs> and I, I'm one of those guys that like carries my stress in my neck too. Like people carry stress differently and like some people clench their jaw and have migraines and stuff. And I'm lucky I don't have that, but, but my sensitive area is the neck for sure. It's because of the big brain that, you know, sits atop <laughs> my cranial structure. Now, um, so, <laughs> so here, so I'm living through this farce right now. Um, that that a lot of your buddies just retired and are like, I'm not dealing with this, which is submitting the religious exemption. Yes. It has now been reported by Daily Wire that um, that the Navy and the Marine Corps are using form letters to reject people's um, exemption requests. That, and the form letters don't even address the specific request. Like they're silent on the nature of the objection. And it implies that like everyone is just getting this blanket rejection. Now, I for me, like I submitted mine two days ago or three days ago on the 1st of uh, November on All Saints Day. And um, there's this whole dog and pony show about, you know, you, you have to be interviewed by a chaplain and you have to have the chaplain checklist and the chaplain interview as enclosures. And you have to use this particular form and you have to clearly state you have to clearly state in five lines or less what your objection is. You know, like for me, I could write a dissertation about my <laughs> objection. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you submit the whole thing and 
you, you go through this entire process and you track down a chaplain and you do your paperwork right and you and you and you submit it uh, uh, in a in a very specific manner that stays in your record forever, and then you find out that they're not even going to read your objection. No one's going to entertain it. There won't be a spirited debate about it. The COVID council exists merely uh, to say no and to alleviate local commanders from the the, uncom- the uncomfort, the, the discomfort of being the man who has to disapprove. So instead, this is, this is how socialism gets implemented. This is, this is, this is how statism works. Yeah. There's no one person who's really in charge. There's no one person to blame. There's no let me let me appeal this to my manager's manager or whatever. It's just a nameless, faceless death council, the members of which you don't get to know who they are, who renders a decision about your life, livelihood, and future. And there's no appeal and there's no recourse. And that's that. You either you either take the shot or you take the misdemeanor. And that's what it will be for many people is a class C misdemeanor when they receive dishonorable discharge. I mean, I've never seen. Here's my question for you, and, and, and you have more military experience than I do. I have never seen any issue dealt with this way. Uh, you lived through, you know, the implementation of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. I lived through the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Um, a lot of that was centrally managed. It was very sensitive. It was a political issue. But local commanders had a lot of say. Local commanders implemented it how they needed to. I have never seen anything so centrally managed uh, as this. So the process that you described is actually very similar uh, even in the Army. It's pretty much you know, sit down with a chaplain, go through the interview, fill out the forms, all that other stuff. Um, the difference is, is for all of the other religious exemptions, it is merely just a formal process. They document it, they put it in your record, and then they know you have the religious objection, and so they know not to ask you again. Um, it was very much like it was a rubber stamp, okay, approved. This one is different in that they established their little council and all of that, and, um, and regardless, there will still be someone's signature on the return memo. And regardless of whether or not he's actually on the council or he's signing for the council, you will still have one person that you can look at. The difference in this whole field, um, and I wanted to point this out because I I was thinking about this actually when I was recording on this the other night on uh, Radio Free Catholic, the military service members in particular, especially the Catholics, if you're denied, if you're charged, if you go to prison, you have an opportunity De facto, you actually fill out the criteria of a confessor of the faith. If your religious objection is, in particular, if it's, tr- if it's true in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, with all of your being, you have an opportunity to become a confessor of the faith. That is a crown of white martyrdom. That is a big deal. It's easy to look at this whole thing and find it overwhelming and see all of the danger. And having been through the military justice system, I can tell you that it's not the end. It's not the end. Your character will prove through. I myself was court-martialed. I myself went to prison. 
I now make the exact same money I made as a staff sergeant in the lower 48 right now. Why? Because I, because I know things are supposed to be hard. I've always known it. it was part of the reason why I joined the infantry of all places in the first place. I knew it was supposed to be hard. I wanted it to be hard. And it was. It was difficult on every level. I spent most of my life as a debauched individual, which is probably the main reason. Actually, it's not probably. It's the reason why I don't regret going through what I went through. Because I had to get my life right. I had to get everything re refocus and find the one thing that doesn't move. Part of the thing that makes this whole national travesty such a travesty is the fact that when you're like if you're an American citizen who's patriotic and you're watching your country shred the very documents that it's supposed to be founded on, what do you look to? At some point you have to stop and look and go, okay, hang on, how much of this paper did I actually believe? Does anybody actually believe in the First Amendment to the Constitution? Freedom of speech, I mean, if you're a Catholic, you know there's limits to freedom of speech, so clearly that's not a thing. Freedom of religion, if you're a Catholic, you know better. Freedom of the press, again, not supposed to lie. Like I can, And I can run that all the way down to the only amendment to the Constitution that anybody, that anybody should believe in is the Second Amendment. Because if you know governments, then you know they're going to violate 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, all the way down the line. All the way down the line. There's nothing that they won't do because that's the nature of the beast. When the people of Israel asked Samuel for God to anoint them a king, God told them exactly what was going to happen. You're going to be oppressed. You're going to be stolen from. You're going to, have, you're going to be giving up your children to war. You're going to be giving up your daughters as slaves. You're going to be doing all of these things. And God told Samuel, don't worry about it. Give it to them because it's not you they reject. It's me. Governments steal. Mm -hmm. That's what they do. They, it, it is baseline. And mind you, with the exception of Christendom, where at least we had the church willing to stand and say, no, I don't care if you're the emperor of, of the entire planet, you bow down to God. And as long as we had that, we at least had some kind of mitigating factor. But since the French Revolution, most of it like as a benchmark, I mean, obviously it started before then, um, obviously started all the way back in the 1580s with Martin Luther, but since the French Revolution in the world, it has been a slow, centuries-long slaughter of Christendom and rightly ordered society. Mm -hmm. Why? Nobody wants to be accountable to God. Nobody. And that's at the core of the whole thing. We look, I mean, I love, it, it, Protestants drive me nuts, but I love them. Because there's nobody more silly <laughs> about the way they express their faith, which is pretty much not at all. I got into an argument on Twitter, um, and all I'd posted was, look, it, you know, they say uh, Andrew Breitbart was quoted as saying that politics is downstream from culture. And I corrected that to say that politics is the expression of religion. Culture is your belief. 
religion is your duty. So you can believe whatever it is that you want to believe, but if you don't express it by what you do, by the homage that you give to God, then your politics really doesn't matter. It's not anchored in anything. And the political systems, the people most especially deceived by it are the people who least practice the moral obligations and duties of the faith, even among Lutherans or Pentecostals or whatever. We step away from that and it is done. And it comes quickly. I mean, it took a while, admittedly. I mean, you figure 1586 to 1789 to 1914 to 2021. I mean, it took a while, but I mean, let's be real. I mean, 2013 was pretty much like the beginning of the avalanche, particularly for the United States of America. And it all has to do with the fact that we refuse to give honor, justice, and our duty to whom it is most due. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, aptly said. Uh, and the truth is that, you know, Pope St. Pius X saw this trend uh, clearly in his day. He said, you know, we, we've heard much about so-called rights of man. Let us now hear something of the rights of God. I, yeah. I love that quote, and I repeat it every month on RTF because, uh, because one of the things that we have forgotten about as, as Catholics, unfortunately, in, in the wake of um, the, the 1789 of the church, which was the age of Aquarius in the 1960s, um, yeah. one of the things we forgot is that the holy sacrifice of the Mass is a sacrifice. That is the nature of the Mass. That is its essence. That's what it's all about. It's a, it's a pleasing sacrifice rendered to God. It's all about the pleasing sacrifice rendered to God. That's the, that's the crown jewel, which is the holy sacrifice of the Mass. But the nature of our existence is to know, love, and serve God so that we can be with him in the afterlife, right? Uh, and, and, and it's not happy-clappy, and it's not, like, you know, uh, emotion, emotional, emotive. Um, and, so, and so it is. It is about uh, the rights of God. And the fact of the matter is, is that God ultimately has, is, as, as the author of all life, is the creator of all things, he has first place amongst how we dispose of those things. So if we take the gift of life that he has given us and we use that life to further our own life, if we kill an innocent child so that we can be vaccinated against the flu, then that is an affront primarily and first and foremost to him. This is why when our Lord heals people and forgives them their sins, uh, it's so shocking to like the Pharisees who are there witnessing it because they think to themselves, what, like, who is this guy? Like the sin was against your brother. It, it, you know, who is this guy to forgive the sin? It wasn't against this guy. Um, this guy being second person of the Holy Trinity. When I sin against you, Caleb, if I steal from you, yes, I sin against you, but most grievously I sin against God. And he's first and foremost the one who's, who's offended. So when we make these religious accommodations, when we make these religious exemptions, you know, it's not just like the natural evil that I might get Bell's palsy if I take this vaccine. That is an evil, 
And that would be a terrible thing for my family. And it might deprive them of the livelihood that I have earned. And, and all of us will suffer for that on this earth. But that's not necessarily like, strictly speaking, a moral thing. Um, that's a practical thing. That's a natural thing. If I take this vaccine, you know, because I'm afraid that I might lose my health care with the military, um, you know, and so I capitulate and I take the vaccine and I'm like, well, it's remote cooperation It's remote because, you know, time has passed since the since the murder. Um, that's a that's an offense. That's an offense against almighty God, period. End of story. I mean, it's, and it's really I love your passion. I love your vigor. I'm so glad you joined the RTF podcast because um, now is the time for us to fight. Now is the time for us to make sacrifices. If this isn't the hill that we're willing to die on, then 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 there is no hill. There is no hill to die on. If we're not willing to say we're not going to kill babies to relieve ourselves from flu symptoms, if if we can't even say that, we can't say anything. It actually goes further than that. And while it's a, this is going to kind of sound like a sort of selfish way to look at it. Um, and it is actually centered on oneself. Each one of us is made in the image and likeness of God. And all of that entails, we're made with an intellect, we're made with a will. Our will was given to us by God freely. And the maximum affront that this is like this because this is actually like a multifaceted deal the maximum affront is the attack on god for each person who is being coerced so everyone who's being coerced you have to understand that the people who are trying to coerce you are directly affronting god they are trying to put themselves on his throne to force you to do something that God would never tell you to do. He would never at, he, I seriously doubt he would ask it. I mean, I, I could be mistaken on that one, but let's face it, God is with perfectly within his rights to do so. Uh, because I mean, after all, he did ask Abram, Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, but he would not even, he would not ask for you to do what these people are asking you to do. This is a, this has always been a battle about the identity of man. This is be like, yes, there's the abortion issue, but when you're dealing with the battle of identity, what is the first commandment? I am the Lord your God. He identified himself as Eye Asher Eye. I am which am. Any attack on identity, and it whether it's coercion for the vaccine, whether it's the transgender agenda. These are all first commandment violations. These are first commandment violations. Abortion is at the fifth commandment. We failed to, if we fail to see this and fail to register this for what it is, this is a blatant, demonic, diabolical attack. This is beyond all of the, all of the other mitigating factors like, I mean, you could let, you know, the Jimmy Martins of the world talk about, well, they're always so focused on abortion. And in this particular case, this is the blind spot because we got focused on abortion and we're forgetting what this really is. This is about the individual sovereignty 
the familial sovereignty, the leadership of the husbands and fathers of their homes, the parents over their children. This is a full frontal first commandment attack. It is not something to be taken lightly. Now, I will say refusal in this case, and it's hard. I, I would never ask someone to put their, the, their ability to put food on the table for their children on the line. I would never ask that. Like just thinking about something like that, like that's literally what I joined the military to stop people from having to worry about. I would never ask them to do that. But they must also recognize there's a point when, when you reach that line in the sand and you either stand there and Job 38 11 them this far and no further, or you fold. And I would not want to be the one held accountable for folding on that. I mean, there's a book, you know, ultimately life ought to go on. But then what happens if you do fold like that and you're swept from the earth? And you're the one who ends up with the myocarditis or whatever or whatever the other um, drastic symptoms are. What happens if you permit that for your family and your children are taken? You as a parent are responsible for your children first. And to allow them to partake in something this morally wrong. And they didn't have to push it to this degree. They legitimately like this is how I know it's diabolical because they didn't have to push it to this degree. They could have said, hey, we got a vaccine and that's it. And just let the people take and this, that and the other. But they pushed it so hard and they made it about everything that we are. It's your patriotic duty. It's this, it's that. And they just went after it so hard that it caused a lot of people to start looking back and going, wait a minute. But I'm not really this person. <laughs> yeah, it's called blowback. It's, you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, if, if they had just been subtle about it, you know, like with the flu vaccine, okay, this is now the required thing. It's a new thing. Okay, whatever. But no, 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 no. We have all these deadlines. We, I mean, the Marine Corps today just lost a, a war game against the British Royal Marines. They were, um, they were having like a live combat exercise two battalions like facing off against each other in the mojave desert southern california wow they were they were using you know dummy rounds but they were using you know all kinds of like advanced uh sensory and, and all kinds of things to, to where you, you could take casualties and you know it was it was it's a tactical exercise the united states marine corps just got spanked by the Royal Marines. In fact, it was so bad. It was supposed to be a five-day exercise. Two days in, the Marine Corps said, hey, can we just reset? Can we like? Can we hit the reset button, the, the Hillary Clinton reset button, uh, wow. and start over? Because there, there's no path to victory. But yeah, I guarantee I you, I guarantee you that that battalion that's training out there in 29 Palms, California, where I used to live, I used to have a house there, used to be stationed there, I guarantee you that that battalion is fully vaccinated. If there's if there's one thing I can I'll hang my hat on, it's that that battalion that just lost the tactical exercise to the British Royal Marines, they are fully vaccinated, Caleb. <laughs> I know that it, it would have to be. I've never heard of a thing like that. Gracious. We we regularly like one of the reasons why we've always been able to make the claim of being the best military in the world is because in these tactical exercises, we don't lose. 
I mean, uh, my battalion, I was, I did not get an opportunity to go because uh, they had gone right as I was arriving at my battalion. In 1997, there was an exercise called Centrasbat. And we deployed half the 82nd division, uh, excuse me, it was right about 5,000 troops. It was a brigade combat team to Uzbekistan. In 19 hours, we dropped 5,000 troops to darken the skies over Uzbekistan. We shocked the world so bad. I mean, we hit the ground 30 minutes later, the airfield was seized. We shocked the world so bad that they just looked and they were like, if this is what they have, we can't play this game. I mean, we literally dropped behind, you know, in this case, I mean, you know, it's a NATO exercise, so it's notionally enemy lines, but we dropped in, darkened the skies, 30 minutes later, we had all their stuff, all of their stuff. Our number two, the the number two guys, I mean, they were like, oh, we're not even going to be there for like four days. That was, that was the power and potency. Talk about shock and awe. The 82nd Airborne had that capacity. I don't know if they still do. I doubt it at this point. But the 82nd Airborne had the capacity to drop 30,000 troops in a 24-hour period and then follow on with the other elements of the 18th Airborne Corps where we could literally take an entire, any nation in four days. The whole thing, all of, all of your infrastructure, your transportation hubs, major cities, four days. That, <laughs> and we just lost to the Brits. The last time I fought against the Brits, we wiped the floor with them. <laughs> Yeah, oh lord it's embarrassing <laughs> and we had home field advantage too 29 palms is our biggest trading training base you can shoot artillery you can drop bombs you can do anything you want out there you can you we that's where the tanks are that's where the marine corps tanks are you know and it's like you can do anything out in that desert we know those mountains i still know some of those mountains i know i know where to put the antenna on various mountains so that i can talk through and around and in what appears to be you know, physically impossible terrain. Um, so this is a home field advantage, and we lose. We lose a tactical exercise. But like I said, I'll bet a paycheck and a half that all those devil dogs out there in Twin Palms were vaccinated. Um, final thoughts on on this particular topic, Caleb. Uh, Radio Free Catholic. You can find the podcast Radio Free Catholic. I support it. I subscribe to it. Um, Final thoughts about the heavy-handed nature uh, that the military is using to make sure um, that everybody is vaccinated. Um, For example, like my most extreme theory, let's say, right, conspiracy fact, (laughs) in in, in other words, is that, you know, that this is part of a master plan to weaken the United States that the side effects of the vaccine, which we don't really understand what they all are, but over time we will, that this is a plan to not only rid the military from all the objectors, but to identify all of the religious zealots and put them on a list and then finally to physically neuter the uh, the U.S. military in a bid 
towards, you know, sort of like the Build Back Better, New World Order, you know, World Economic Forum implementation of, you know, uh, the new springtime in the church, the new, new springtime, which, you know, it, it, it cannot be implemented if the, if the United States is strong and independent and, you know, doing what it does. It can only be implemented when there are really no borders because there are no superpowers, because everybody is essentially equal, and therefore we need a global government. Um, I, think, I, I think that's the most extreme take that I've heard on this. But I don't know that you can argue with the logic. What do you think? Uh, personally, I can't argue with the logic. Um, every, it, this has all the hallmarks of an ideological purge. The upper level chain of command is completely in the tank for this whole thing. Um, we already know that General Milley is basically a traitor. The, you look at what the administration has decided to do through the entirety of this, in, through the entirety of this last year. There is nothing about this that is designed to bolster the United States. This is, and when communism, particularly if you look at the history of communism, every communist nation, every, even the small little third world, you know, holes, every last one of them, they, they ideologically purge the military and then they turn that military inward. Always. The Soviet Union puts up, puts up the, uh, you know, the Berlin, the Berlin Wall wasn't to keep the Westerners out, it was to keep the communists in. Like, there's no, there's no two ways about it. When, when a communist empire puts up a wall, it's not to keep outsiders out. It's never been that. They put up, I mean, that ridiculous-looking fence outside the Capitol. Why? To defend themselves from the citizenry. Because that's exactly what it was. They expanded you know, the, the powers of the Capitol Police. And now you now actually have offices for the Capitol Police under the direct control of the Speaker of the House opening up across the country. This is that movement. And in, order, and in order to make sure that they can actually lock it in, they need to make sure that when they, the, their soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, and guardians, and even the Coast Guard, when they are called they will obey. That's it. Do I think that? Do I think this could end up with two hundred or three hundred thousand troopers pushed out of the military? Yes. And I would actually say, for anybody who's looking to serve, you're much better served by joining a local militia, starting a local militia if you're if you're already an NCO or an officer, and actually defending your hometown, your county, and your state. Tie it together with the sheriff's department because your sheriff is actually the guy who's going to put the boundaries on the state and federal law enforcement. Go, <laughs> I love hearing Steve say this every single week on the rundown, go local. The federal government is not your friend. Not, the IRS isn't your friend. The TSA isn't your friend. The FBI isn't your friend. The CIA is not your friend. Honestly, the Supreme Court's barely your friend. I mean, they're the last best hope, but that's like putting a mouse up against an elephant in real life. And no, elephants are not that scared of mice. They just step. <laughs> that's most of what I got. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, think, I think this is diabolical for sure. I think there's a spiritual element to this, as you alluded to. 
And, you know, I think finally my, my, my exhortation to the audience would be this, pray for the uh, awake practicing Catholics who are wearing the uniform right now. They have very difficult decisions ahead of them. It's easy for guys like you and me to armchair quarterback it. I'm just a reservist. If they take away my commission and kick me out and I lose health care, I can at least just go buy something on the open market, Good Samaritan, whatever. Yeah. Uh, my family and I will survive this in all likelihood. For those who are under contract, under obligation to continue serving, to ask themselves to become pariahs in their units, to skylight themselves, to add themselves to a list that they'll never get off of, um, to, to stand strong, to face whatever punishment comes. Uh, it's a big ask. What yeah. we're asking for is heroism. That's what, that's what we're asking for. That's what we're expecting. That's what the church calls us to, though. The church expects heroes. She doesn't just expect mediocrity. You know, we, we can do the spiritual minimum. We can go to Mass on Sunday and go to confession once a year and receive communion during Easter once a year. That's not going to cut it, though. They, times are so bad. They're so dark. The world is so against us, and we are so entrenched in the evil of this world. This is not time for the bare minimum. This is time for martyrdom is what it is. And, um, and so I think that the church is, is, is starving for, uh, for courageous, brave martyrs. Uh, and that can start in your U.S. Army, in your U.S. Navy, in your U.S. Marine Corps. It can even happen in your U.S. Air Force. <laughs> um, Caleb, hit, hit us up. Do you uh, are you on social media? How can we find you? Is it is it just you know typing in Radio Free Catholic? Is that is that it? Is it just the podcast? Is there anything else going? Um, I'm occasionally on Twitter. I usually do most of my news trolls um, on Twitter. I'm at Mighty Colibri, um, which is uh, the Mighty Hummingbird in Latin. C O L I B R I. I'm also on SP3RN, which if you actually want to contact me, I much prefer being contacted on SP3RN. Uh, but I do respond to pretty much every message I get on social media, uh, be it Twitter, um, specifically Twitter or um, SP3RN. But you can also, cool thing on the Anchor app, you can send a message on the Anchor app and I can be contacted that way as well. Um, you can also reach me on email radiofreecatholic at gmail.com um, that will that will change once I finally get off my duff and fix radiofreecatholic.com and I'll go ahead and actually get a, uh, a specialized email account for that um, but that's pretty much it the podcast is Radio Free Catholic it's on, I post to Anchor it's on pretty much every platform you can imagine from Podbean uh, CastBox, like doesn't matter, doesn't seem to matter how obscure so Cool. Well, thanks for joining me on um, on RTF and come back uh, anytime. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Mike. Awesome. God bless.